0: Welcome to another edition of the d Detour Live. We're going to be recapping a big edition of the Tour of Flanners. We're going to chat with Stuart O'Grady, uh, who ran third in 2003, and also Tiff Cromwell, who had a solid ride in the women's edition. I'm your host, Dan Jones, and joined, as always, by four-time National Road Champion, Johnny Trevorrow. Johnny, you've got a pretty, pretty big episode today.
1: Yes, uh, I, I got to say, uh, I was so impressed with the Tour of Flanders on Sunday, the Ronde van Vlaanderen, um, and uh, considering you know what they've had the dramas with the with the uh, pandemic the last two years, what a fantastic bike race! So I'm looking forward to uh, dissecting all that. Of course, Stuart Grady, one of our legends, uh, winner of the Prairie Bay, and one of only I think two Aussies to get on the podium in the men's uh, uh, in the men's race, and Tiff Cromwell, who has been a Uh, a star of australian cycling for more than a decade i remember as a young kid when she rode the uh the banquet i think she was only 17 so it goes back a long while but uh looking forward to talking to both of them
0: well we pre-recorded the interviews earlier so let's kick things off with uh O'Grady. grady yeah that's good because it'll make sense by saying that because you had the beers and you're running late and stuff so all right, I'll stick okay. all that together.
1: Did, did you get any of uh, David Jew in there? If you do, would- all right. Well, we're joined Ooh. by Stewie
0: O'Grady. Stewie, apologies uh, if he was running about five minutes late. Priorities, as you said, you thought he had a new microphone, but it was just a beer bottle. Yeah,
2: I thought it was a new technology there, which only Johnny would have known that was existing. It was a microphone in the shape of a beer bottle? But no, it was an actual beer. Sorry.
0: Well, <laughs> hey,
1: I'm on holidays. I'm on holidays.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Stuart, we brought you on to talk about Flanders. Now, one thing, if he loves doing, is going back through the archives. And we thought, look, why not pull out one of your best rides in a in a one day race? So obviously, we know you won pair every bay, but you had an absolute belt in, in 2003, and uh, I managed to dig up some old vision. So let's uh, <laughs> it, let's go back into the, the detour uh, Delorean. Roads, well, Where
3: we're going, we don't need.
0: 2003 Tour of Flanders and the late great Paul Sherwin tries to get a quick grab with you and I think the gun had already gone off so you pretty much gave him donuts we'll have a look at the highlights of the race and a recap <laughs> after the race
2: Stewie great start to the season nice jersey Tour of Flanders race that you
4: like Oh yeah, I mean you gotta, you gotta learn it. You you have to like it, otherwise there's no point really even taking the starts. It's just one of those races uh, like Prairie Bay where it can be a killer day, uh, really hard conditions, pave, couple climbs and wins. So I've got to go. The race has begun.
0: Van petergun gets his second win here, and Frank Vandenbroek gets the second place finish. A repeat
1: indeed of the result which they had back in 1999.
2: What a great move there by Van Pietigam, he was worried though Phil, I could see and feel the tension of the presence of Frank van den when the acceleration came he could do nothing and Fabio Baldato looks like he'll lead them in.
0: Well Baldato being challenged by Stuart O'Grady, O'Grady's got the legs, he's got a podium place, an excellent finish for Stuart O'Grady, Nico Matan, Fabio Baldato on the line, be a photo between the last two Paul, but Stuart
5: O'Grady has got his finest result in a one day classic.
2: Stewie, we've been following
5: you for a number of years, right now. But uh, to get up there in a classic like that must give you a lot of pleasure.
4: Yeah, it's by far, um, definitely up there with the, the best uh, races of my life. Tour of Flanders is, you know, is one of the big classics, and uh, yeah, today I just uh, had to happen, didn't it? I mean, you're up there in so many races, and you know, you just keep trying and trying. And uh, you know, today it nearly came off with the biggest one, but third, I'm pretty wrapped with you. Yeah. But you must think uh,
2: when you go away from this, you won the sprint for third place so easily. A bit of a let down, two guys
4: in front. Uh, it's, you, can't, you, know, you can't really look at it that way. Those two are out the front, churning uh, away a lot harder than probably we were behind. And, uh, yeah, it was, obviously it would have been awesome if, they, if we did catch them, but uh, we didn't, and you know, I'm very happy with it. This is the best start to the year you've had for a couple of seasons. Well, I'd say for, since I've been a pro, I think. You know, they say you get older and better, so uh, hopefully the next few years can, can get even more exciting.
0: Great stuff there from Paul Show. <laughs> I, lo- I-, I love the classic third, but you're pissed off you didn't win. <laughs> yeah. What, what, uh, what well, are your yeah. me- memories of that day? Uh,
2: yeah, a lot of pain. I mean, it's, it's funny watching that. I'm, I haven't really seen much vision from, from back in those days. And, you know, don't you love the HD quality of the picture? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, about 10 pixels per screen. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean – you know, it brings back a lot of memories, that's for sure. I mean, it was it was really tricky days back then with Credit Cole. I mean, um, you know, our, our team wasn't really based around the classics. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't have any teammates left after the halfway point. Uh, pretty sure Hank was there up until about 80, 100k to go. Um, so, you know, it was pretty isolated, um, just kind of hanging on the wheels, uh, you know, there were some pretty big names in that front group with we obviously Van Petagam, Vanderbroek, um Bogart, like a lot of the big guys were in there. And, and I, you know, I think Zabel was in there. I was I felt a bit lost. I was a bit intimidated. Um and all I can remember was, you know, every climb I was literally on the verge of cramping and just hanging in there. And, you know, that old saying you just just hang in there and keep on riding certainly uh, you know, was all I was thinking of, and then, um, you know, to get so close to I me—that mean, was a massive moment for me that day. Too. That was my first uh, podium in a, in a World Cup race, and it kind of really opened my eyes up to, you know, I always dreamed of these, you know, trying to be dream of getting a result in Roubaix or Flanders, but when you actually do it, it really kind of um gives you a lot of self belief and. Uh, you know, in, in I guess in the hope and the again the dream word, but dreaming of winning a, you know, a big one day race in the future. So that was probably one of the best days uh, on the bike in my career, to be honest.
1: Evie? yes, yeah, Stewie, you actually had a few good rides on uh in, in, in Tour of Flanders, and later on in your career, you had a couple of rippers. What, what is, do you think is your best ever performance in uh, in, in Flanders?
2: Oh, I think, obviously, with the podium, um, you know, the, the, I think only Phil Anderson, um, you know, had been on the podium before and, you know, I kind of used that as inspiration. Uh, and then, um, like I said, you know, to, to, uh, that was a really big day. And, and the problem with Flanders or Roubaix is that, you know, something happens, there's just no teammates. Um, and a simple thing of just getting a water bottle or a gel when you haven't got a teammate, it's, it's almost impossible. You can't actually drop back to the car because the car is, you know, probably about two or three kilometres behind. Um, and, you know, trying, back then we didn't have the same kind of swan and assistants and and helpers, shall we say, on the side of the road at the end of every sector which were handing out bottles. And, um, you know, there seems to be a lot more of that uh, in the later years. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if a bottle came out coming down one of the cobbled climbs or, you know, you literally ran out of ran out of drink and food you, you were you were stuffed there was no one to help you so um you know as, as I said to be able to kind of hang in there that was a big one but yeah I think Flanders was, was yeah it was one of those just epic epic days uh I, I loved the race um and like I've said many times you know for 270 kilometers it's like you're you're inside a coliseum and um yeah just fantastic race
0: now, one of the riders, I'm I'm pretty open with my knowledge prior to 2005, being really rusty. Um, but one rider that kept popping up when I started working at Green Edge was Frank Vandenbroek. You know, all the Belgians mm. would often talk about just this legend on and off the bike. What what was it about him that made him so special? Because he ran second in that edition when you were third. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Frank had a, a very turbulent life, shall we say. He was. Um, you know, an extremely talented bike rider coming from an extremely talented family. Uh, and the whole families were treated a bit, you know, a bit like godlike status. Um, you know, if you can picture, you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, top footballers or cricketers, they're, they're in that kind of the same mold. I mean, they've got the backing of the whole country. And he was pro- kind of projected as a real, a real young god. Um, and he won a lot of big races at an early age. Um, with that came a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of euros and then, you know, his lifestyle was, was a roller coaster ever since. And, you know, he was, uh, always in and out of trouble. And, um, but you know, just when you thought he was in too much trouble, he'd come out and, and win a few stages of the Vuelta or do something ridiculously incredible again. And, um, you know, and he'd come back from the brink of disaster. And I think, you know, he just had this, uh, almost, uh, you know, Hollywood kind of, lifestyle and because of the media ups and downs um you know he was certainly one of the most highlighted riders uh in the cycling world
1: if <laughs> well, he well he was he was a very very talented bike rider and, and that's a very sad story but uh yeah. going back to, to you stewie that was actually you, you've been probably what, only two or three years at that stage
2: uh, no, that was, so I've been pro, that was my sixth year. Um, oh, really? I turned, turned pro in 97, no, sorry, 90, I'm I thinking 95. I can't remember. Okay. Uh, 95. So, um, yeah, that was, I've been in there for a few seasons, but, um, you know, in the early days with Gann, I was basically, uh, you know, a domestique for Duclos LaSalle and, and Frederick Monkerson a bit later on. So, uh, you know, Hank and I kind of carried the reins over into, into uh, Credit Agricole. Um, and, you know, later in, there was Magnus Backstead, but, you know, it was Flanders it was way too hilly for Magnus. And, and, you know, to be honest, most of my French teammates uh, pulled out
0: of the, either the first or the second feed zone. Um, what was your thoughts of this year's edition, Stewie? <laughs> yeah. um,
2: incredibly fast. Uh, hard. I mean, you know, I kind of look at those races and think, man, there's no way we used to ride up those hills that fast. Um, but just seeing the power, uh, I guess that real, I, I think it's just a lot less controlled. Um, from my memories, we used to control r- races pretty well. Um, you know, especially in the later years with CSC and and Leopard with with Fabian. You kind of had those, and you had your Boonen and your Fabian. You had you one or two designated leaders from each team. The teams pretty much just controlled the racing. Then there was a set period or a climb where we'd, um, you know, specifically attack. You know, the, that that group went off the front, and and that was it. They kind of battled it out in the final. These days, it's just like I don't know they've they've ripped up the rule book and thrown that out the window. Um, and it makes for great spectating, that's for sure. But you know, the the guys are just seem to be attacking so much earlier, um, and it's kind of almost a little bit. Um, crazy to, to think of how they can come up with these tactics in in the room the night before. You know, um, Vanderpoel and Ala Philippe and Van Art, they, they just seem to, I mean, it, it's just the most phenomenal racing to watch from the couch. And, uh, you know, we've got 10, 15 great years ahead of us watching these guys race, I tell you, because um, I'm very glad I'm retired when I'm watching it on the TV from home.
0: Well <laughs> well you said they have thrown the rule book out from a, a traditional tactics point of view but geez they haven't thrown it out in terms of two blokes were booted off for going the old biffo early on but geez you got to feel for that uh, Michael Show who's kicked off for throwing his water bottle to the fan I mean turn yeah, yeah. it up that that's a bit stiff
2: No it's more than stiff that that's just it's ridiculous uh look you know that that isn't littering i mean there, there's rules and then there's um the, uh, there's just things that are put in place which just don't really make much sense, uh, you know, that's not littering, that's throwing a souvenir to, to the public. Um, you know, in the Tour de France, you know, you throw one of those water bottles and, you know, there's 20 people fighting over them. It's a souvenir which people take home and they treasure. Uh, you know, if you'd thrown it into a canal, um, you know, where there was no people around, then then potentially fair enough. That that sits with the rules and regulations. But to throw it to a fan uh, who, who he saw was there on the side of the road and which was actually running towards it, uh extremely harsh. Um I, I don't think I would have clicked out to be honest. <laughs> I would have just kept racing
5: uh
2: <laughs> and, and argued about it later. But um yeah, I mean even with the Argy Bargie, I mean, you know, I I understand the the Alpacin rider. um is it Alpacin or uh yeah. wherever the, in, Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, I understand him getting uh, disqualified, but then, you know, the, the so-called retaliation from the other rider was nothing more than a little, you know, how hey, are you going and, um you know, just a little swing into the curb. I mean, if you're going to throw out riders that do that, then there's not going to be many riders left in the peloton. Do
1: you think it was harsh, John? Oh, yeah, I think it was ridiculous. Well, especially the bidden one. That was just... Uh, Absolutely ridiculous. I know they've got really strict yeah. rules now. You've got your litter zones. And if you had to mean just throwing your stuff out of your pocket, well, I think a fine would be fair enough. Uh, but he didn't even do that. He just threw a bid to, to, to the fans. Yeah. So that, absolutely ridiculous. The other two, well, yeah, I think the opposite guy probably – yeah, he just jammed the brake. Why he did it? I don't know. He jumped. I'm not allowed to chase anyone down these days. Jam the break. exactly not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bloody ridiculous. But i got to tell you, I thought the last two uh, Rondevon Vlanderans, which, you know, for, for for the fans who don't really understand it, the the, the Tour of Flanders, the Rondevon Vlanderan, is – such a big race in Belgium. It's it's uh, it's as big as the Melbourne Cup is to us I- I- in Australia. The, the Ronde mm. van Vlaanderen is is to the to the uh, Flemish and to the or to all of Belgians. But the last two years with the uh, the pandemic with the COVID, I just thought, oh, without crowds, it won't. It's been fantastic. The races yeah. have just been brilliant the last year and this year. Just two of the best editions uh, ever. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, no, one of the, I
2: absolutely agree.
0: one of the other big talking points I saw, um, was Peter Sargon. I didn't realize this stat. He's won six races in the last three years. The boss of Bora has come out and said, ah, don't know if we're going to pay him the, the dollars that he's asking because he's up for contract. Um, where do you reckon he'll end up, Stewie? That's a good question, Dan. Um, look, you know, the, the poor bloke, He's he
2: dominated our sport for how many years? Um, I mean, he's been the absolute number one draw card for any event. I mean, you mentioned Peter Sargon. I mean, we have him down here at the Tour Down Under and people mm. flock to him. He's he's just such a personality. We really need guys like Peter Sagan. I mean, now we've obviously got Philippe and Van Art and Van Der Poel and, 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 and. But, you know, Sagan was a real player um, and really dominated our sport for, for so many years. Um, for his boss to kind of, you know, quickly, as quickly as he has, so, you know, well, he's just not living up to expectations and then runs you know, he actually had COVID, um, which I don't think everybody remembers. Uh so to come back from come back from having COVID, missing all the races in the lead up and still run fourth in Milan San Remo, still win a stage in Catalonia. I mean, you know, he might not be worth his four or five million euro price tag um a year, but Look, I, I just think that's a team leveraging, you know, they they just they can see an opportunity here to, to kind of, um, you know, how do I say this nicely, get rid of him. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I I'd, I'd think that he's still probably, you know, very, a very worthwhile, uh, you know, asset in any team. Um, so I'm sure he'll find himself another role somewhere. Um, it may not be his outright team leader. But when you're still getting fourth in Milan San Remo winning, winning races, I mean, come on, the guy's won seven green jerseys, three world titles. Give the guy a break.
0: <laughs> well, this might be an opportunity for TDU to get him on the cheap now for next year. <laughs> get him really his confidence that is like, hey, look out. <laughs> hey, well, speak, speaking of that, how was the wash up from the uh, Santos Festival of Cycling this year? Must have been a huge relief to get to the finish line. <laughs>
2: It was a huge relief to to drop the flag on stage one and and to see all the hard work uh, and the planning and the replanning and the replanning of the planning uh, to finally just get underway and and see the guys and the girls. I mean, it was it was a really great week to be honest. Um, it's amazing how much work you can put into to an event, and you know, again, it was all the, the team in the uh, South Australian Tourism Commission which. You know, we're doing all the hard yakka behind the scenes. Um, but you know, just to get the teams uh in Adelaide, just to get um, you know, the little niche, I guess, positions of race radio uh to Adelaide. I mean, the borders were going up and down like a window blind. So Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to drop the flag on day one, um, you know, have the men and women men and women racing from the start in the same start and finishing the same finish, that was really cool on the same day it was had a really good feel to it and uh, you know know a lot of people appreciate it and it was a massive challenge but uh look at at this stage we're just um planning for you know the world tour event 2022 and going to come out bigger and better than ever
1: i gotta say Stewie, i i was lucky enough to be there and i was so impressed with the event i mean Sure, everyone was excited that there was a bike race, but it was a fantastic bike race. As you say, to have the men and women on the same starts, finishes each day Mm. was really special. Uh, Everyone wanted a race. And so it was. you you forgot after a very short time, you forgot that it wasn't a world tour race. It didn't seem like it wasn't. It it was brilliant. So well done. Yeah,
2: there there was enough. um, You know, it was great having, you know, just having Richie Port come over um, and, you know, and slog it out with two weeks quarantine with with uh, a young child and, uh, well, a couple of young kids. You know, for him to do that, for the Midtredden Sk- uh, Bike Exchange team to come down, um, you know, we had, I think we had 12 World Tour riders. So, you know, every now and then when the, you flicked on the broadcast and you saw the pictures and, uh, you know, you saw the, the Cervelo team and, um, you know, the EF education and you saw those World Tour jerseys, and then you still saw the same infrastructure at the starts and finishes, you know, it was just reminding everyone that the Tour Down Under is still here and uh, we'll be back. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Well, obviously after last year, it's very hard to lock anything into place, but they must be relatively confident given how much time from now until the start of next year with the vaccine rollouts that you will go back to some level of normality or what you're used to in previous years.
2: Yeah, look, all we can do is... um, plan for the for the World Tour Race to go ahead and then um, you know, we we'll, are at the mercy of whatever happens with the rollout and the COVID uh the COVID rollout and and the vaccination passport. So, you know, that we're just keeping a close eye on and but everyone's uh working hard already. Everyone's pretty focused on delivering the best event possible. So um, you know, I'm not going to try and speculate about what-ifs again because that'll just drive you crazy. So yeah, um, you know, I'm just planning on, uh, you know, delivering, you know, the best TDU ever.
0: Well, how does it work with government money? Does it roll across? Like if they save some coin on some big marquee party sort of acts for the opening show this year, can they just double down next year and, you know, have like <laughs> your, your John Farnham, Jimmy Barnes just go all out?
2: Oh, I'm not sure, Dan. That's not really my... My uh, lane. Um, I'm not in the inter- entertainment decision-making area. Um, I'm on the course design and and race okay. director role. So, well, if I'll, I'll
0: you're no, the
1: I'll no comment on that one. You're the party <laughs> manager for Team Bike Exchange, aren't you, John? Yeah, that's right, mate. I just say <laughs> bring on bring on the party, boys. Bring on the party. It'll be great. But listen, while we've got Stewie here, we've only just touched on uh, uh, Ronda von Vlaanderen I think we should uh, dissect it a bit more because it was a sensational race. Uh, and Stewie and I were talking only the, the day before, and I, I'd picked uh, Van, Van Ert to win, but he was just wasn't up for the day. But Casper, uh, mm. uh, the friendly goes, Casper uh, uh, Asgreen, wow, what, what a performance. What did you think of his ride, Stewie?
2: Yeah, absolutely dominated, didn't he? I mean, uh, he was he was certainly coming off a lot of confidence. Um, you know, you just see the strength he had, uh, and he was just quick to react every time Van Arden Van der Poel attacked. You know, he he was straight there with him. Um, and and he just looked strong and and he looked confident. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, there was so much going on uh that you know, it was kind of hard to hard to focus on one aspect of that race, but you know, when you've got when you got teammates in the final, that's always going to be a massive card to play. So as soon as Alaphilippe and Askren were, you know, in that front group, they were always going to be extremely difficult to beat.
1: Yeah. But what impressed me, a week before he won at Harold Baker, and it was the way he won that. He went away 80K to go. Um they finally chased me, and he went again. It was it, it, it reminded me of Fabian Cancellara at his best. I thought, "Wow, this guy, you know, it is great." And then everyone sort of he didn't do that much in 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 the Get weather game just the week before, and so people forgot him. But no, uh, he was amazing, fantastic ride. But there were so many things happening. I, I was a one section. Uh, it was a fair way out, fifty six out. When there was a crash, and a whole stack of riders got held up, and that's where mm. Michael Matthews. I don't know whether he actually fell off or just got stopped with it, but he got—he was back a fair way. Yeah, he got held up. And then, yeah. and then the whole team, look, it looks like this, there was five uh, team bike exchange in a line mm. chasing, and they closed the gap and got back on, but they just spent... Too many pennies i think michael went too deep with all of that and couldn't uh, react to the last part. but it was really impressive to see that at least that uh, the team were still together enough to be able to you don't see that very often at, the, at yeah. that stage they were, to have five teammates bang whacking the turns and closing that gap
2: no they, they did a great race as well a bike exchange right up there and again you know just have those numbers um you know it's a, it's a real bummer that matthews was caught up in that crash but you know that's flanders um and there'll there'll be another one for him to have a crack at but you know i've got to say there's got to be one really really um upset person that Perry bay isn't on uh, this week this sunday's uh you know the quick step and, and askren because with this kind of form um and and confidence that you get out of, of you know delivering in a race like that um is priceless so you know, for him to, to win a Flanders like that out of just pure strength and with the ride he'd done previously in that win as well, um, you know, he would be absolutely fuming that Paru Bay's been postponed till October. Oh,
1: sure. mm, definitely, aren't we all? Aren't
0: we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, Stewie. Um, thanks for the. Uh, Dissection of the 2003 Tour of Flanders. great memories there, and uh, all the best with the prep for Tour Down Under next year, mate. We're looking forward to it, getting back to bigger than better, and and we can't wait for the government to double down on that cash hole and have an even bigger better <laughs> party to kick things
1: off.
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Dan. Thanks, JT. Good all on you, right, mate,
1: Stewie. See you about, thanks, Paul.
4: See you later.
1: All right, that's Stewie O'Grady. Uh,
0: ify, we've got Tiff Cromwell. Waiting in the lurks, but it's time now to give a quick plug for the sponsors and then we're going to bring Tiff on and chat about her tour of Flanders. Uh, do you want to kick things off with Let's Go Motorhomes, Johnny?
1: Okay. So this is going to be a little test because I, I left my notes behind, but I've got them written. Oh, so I'm going to go. No, no. I've got them here. So I'm going to have to click onto. So I, I will I will lose vision of you, but uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mate, how, how many times have you spoken
1: about Let's Go Motorhomes? Surely you know what to say by now. I do. Let's Go Motorhomes, why not holiday in Australia's best motorhomes and campers? At Let's Go, they love helping people have incredible holidays. As one of Australia's leading motorhome and campervan rental companies. They have vehicles to suit all types of travellers for all kinds of adventures, and you can be sure they'll go the extra mile to make your trip the best time ever. Travelling in Australia in a campervan or a motorhome is truly one of the best and safest ways to experience everything our nation has to offer. A self drive trip also offers a lot of freedom. Here are the five top tips to make the most of your motorhome experience plan, 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 and plan. One of my. That's, uh, that's not even five good. tips. One, two, three, four, and plan. (laughs) You need to rewrite this script, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Well, I can do it two ways. I can say four top tips or I can actually another plan in. Okay. Just rewrite it. You may love spontaneity when it comes to adventures, but sometimes, I got the word right that time, sometimes travelling around Australia requires some planning, especially during peak times. The things Let's Go recommend they look in advance, are selecting the right motor home or camper van, pick a general route and accommodation as caravan parks and other paid camping areas are often booked out and in the busy times. So I reckon we've gone pretty well. If you need a helping hand with anything, just let's go. We'll plan it all for you. You got there, John. I think we're going to have to step away and rework that script, mate. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) J.K. Caravans. Yeah, well, we do. We never have a, a, a script for them because they are Australia's biggest uh, caravan uh, company with 45 years of experience and history. The great value for money, right, uh, a RV, is designed and built to give you years of enjoyment. It's no wonder that one in every two RVs on Australian roads is a Jayco. Find your freedom today. Great escapes start with a Jayco. Go where you want, when you want. No, don't delay your next adventure. Every new Jayco RV comes with a 24-month warranty. I promise now, you know I'm reading the script now. I promise that your Jayco RV is free for workmanship or material defects plus five-year structural warranty demonstrate their commitment to quality, longevity, and integrity of their manufacturing progress. With 29 Jayco dealers across the country, you're sure to find one close to you. Have a chat to your local dealer about the best RV for your next great escape. And uh,
0: that's not too bad. I reckon we can get them a little bit tighter. But uh, no, the guts of it's there, mate. And Mitchell and Wines,
1: (laughs) (laughs) one of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape. Experience the history, the beauty, and the serenity of the Garden Valley at your own pace. I'm up here now. I'm only a couple of k uh, up the road in, in my cabin right now, looking over the vineyards from the iconic tower. Staying at the new hotel, relaxing by the pool, recharging in the day spa, exploring the seasonal menu at the Muse, stopping by the Provdor, and touring the cellars, and of course, tasting their signature wines. And then, of course, recharge by the day, relax by night, escape to a place of modern comfort and timeless beauty. The spa and the therapy options are sensational. Quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover balance in a setting of peace and harmony. Mitchell has become renowned as an amazing venue for weddings and for that special function, offering unique spaces for memorable events. So I can host your next function beneath that iconic tower. And then, of course, you have to go downstairs into the most amazing Aboriginal art gallery, the biggest privately owned Aboriginal art gallery in the world, and it's got so many amazing um, uh, uh, pieces of art. But, of course, there it is, the $10,000, I'm guessing because I can't see it at the moment, <laughs> the $10,000 Right, not the Range Rover, a Land Cruiser with the uh, 5 million euro paint job.
0: Euro, geez, that is a record, folks. It's uh, it's got from 3.2 Aussie to 5 million euro, sensational. So, get we got there, there? A look at that. yeah, you got there. <laughs> well done, John. All right, here's a quick word for our great mates at Bike Exchange. See you later, Stewie, who's in the lobby there, and uh, we'll come back with Tiff Cromwell to dissect her tour of Flanders.
5: Look at this bike, you think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. It's a bike, 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike. But with this crank and these bars, this could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides.
0: Well, we've got another special guest, Johnny. Uh, What can you tell us about Tiffany Cromwell?
1: Well, I, I first remember Tiff, was just a youngster. I mean, she only looks a youngster now, but uh, uh, gee, we got probably going back well, fourteen years, maybe. Uh, bay quits and I, I got a call from her dad saying uh, she had this young, sixteen or seventeen year old, I think she was, uh, who wanted, really wanted to ride, and uh, if I could help look after her, I said, oh yeah, okay, no worries. And she came along, and she was, she was. Yeah, you could see she was going to be a superstar uh, and she's been one of our most consistent um, female road riders for, for for you know more than a decade uh, and she's still um, and she's been putting up some great rides in the last couple of years but she's back and with a great ride uh, uh, which you can tell us all about in the tour of Flanders uh, Rhonda von Vlaanderen, just just finished. Well she joins us live now. Tiff
0: Cromwell, can you hear us?
3: I can. can you hear me? Yes, we can.
0: Welcome to the detour. Thanks for joining us. How how you pulled up from Tour of Flanders?
3: Not too bad, actually. I surprised myself. I went for a ride yesterday, and the legs are all right. So maybe I didn't go hard enough here in Sunday.
0: Oh, I think I think you were thereabouts. Geez, when I was tuning in, it was it was getting quite late here in Australia, so I didn't see the final. But geez, particularly in the early parts, you were very prominent.
3: Yeah, it was. Um, for me personally, I had a really good race for our team. It wasn't quite as perfect because we didn't end up with the race or the outcome that we wanted but you know Flanders is always just a waiting game it's about you can't switch off because you have to be there in every segment but you know it doesn't kick off until usually around the last 50k where it's really you know okay <laughs> game time but no it was, it was a good day um I was able to be there for our team leader Kazia right up until the Uda and then yeah the legs had no more but it was nice to be back there because it's been a few years since I've had this kind of form and to be playing with, with the front girls and, yeah, just enjoyable and, and Flanders is is as exciting as ever.
0: What, what did you do differently with your prep to, to get this form? We've, we've spoken to a few riders that have done, you know, cyclocross, you know, I've done a bit of Instagram stalking, looks like a bit of skiing uh, in the offie. Uh, was there anything that you tweaked differently?
3: Well, I'd say I've had the most different off-season I've ever had this year. Um, you know, obviously I wasn't able to get back to Australia, or, well, I, did, I chose not to come because of the current situation, the quarantine and things like that. And I have a boyfriend, he's from Finland, so we decided to do the complete extreme opposite of instead of 30-degree positive in the summer, we did minus 30-degree negative um, mm. in the Finnish Lapland winter. So I for sure didn't have to prepare for the January races, which – although I always love to go back and, you know, race the likes of Bakeries, Tour Down Under, um, Cadel's Sun Tour. It was also quite nice to have a bit more of a chill period. And, and yeah, so obviously we're in the very, very far north, um, kind of on the border of Finland, Sweden and Norway. And so, okay, you couldn't ride. Um, I did a little bit of Zwift because I had to kind of tick over the legs, but I was doing a lot of different things. I did some cross-country skiing, which, you know, is – a really, really good full body workout. I've learned. Um, we're doing some ski do although I don't know if that counts as training. But it's it's hard <laughs> in the legs sometimes. <laughs> Snowshoe hiking up the local mountain, even some ice hockey. I tried. So just a whole range of things that I think the combination of the extreme weather on your body and also just the different sports it's really benefited me. And then I had a much calmer approach. So then when I got to the first training camp, I was fresh and I was ready and you know, then just built on that and create the endurance base. And then once I got to the races, I was just ready to go. So, yeah, I'd say it's a whole range of things, but I think just doing something different, you know, when, as Johnny said, I've been around the tracks for quite a long time now when you do the same, same year in, year out, like when you actually do something different, it's, it's yeah, that's just maybe what you need.
1: he, Yeah, Tiff. fact. Uh- Great to chat. Dale. It's been a while. Um I'm just looking behind you with that window. It looks very like it looks like you're in a cathedral. You're not looking chasting a bit of divine redemption or anything are you? No, um,
3: well actually, the story behind <laughs> that is well we have a house just above Monaco and it used to be owned by the ballerina Rudolf Nureyev. I don't know if you know anything about ballet but apparently he's quite famous. So Mary. yeah, so then that design is the pattern of one of his foot movements of ballet which the people we bought it from, you know, incorporated that as semi-safety feature but also design aspect. So that's what that's about.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, there you go. I, was, I yeah. saw it, it, was, it was a huge win for Meek um, Van Vluten. Um, she's obviously in super form. I mean, how do you beat someone on on her sort of level?
3: Yeah, you know, she, it's Meek isn't it? You know, she showed those kind of performances the last few years I think you just need to have one, a perfect day, and two, have numbers, which that's Mm. two things we didn't have. And even at the front, there wasn't really any teams with dominant numbers, like SD works on their usual incredible form. And, you know, a few people tried, but it's, yeah, it's either try to match her and go with her and hope for the best or, yeah, just try to have somebody who can cover and then counter. But she had the perfect legs on the day and and the strength and – yeah, chapeau to her, but you know, it's it's yeah. There's a reason why she's been world champion and and won a number of races because she has that massive strength.
0: Um, how, I was just going to say, if he, how hard is it, um, year after year, once once you've been in the the pro peloton for for a while, to to get that motivation and that hunger, like how how difficult is it, and do you have to do similar things to what you did in the off season? to give yourself that that induced sort of energy?
3: I think it really depends on the situation. You know, Sometimes it's really easy. You know, if everything's going well, your form's good, it's super easy to be motivated because it's, you know, it's the mental game. When you're happy, you ride well. When you ride well, you race well. Um, sometimes if things just don't seem to be working out for one reason or another, whether you're stressed, your personal life, just in a bit of a rut, you um, then you have to stand back and say okay what do I need to change do I need a new team do I need to just try things differently do I you know need to change things in my personal life you know there's so many different factors and and at the moments when you're in the right it's really hard to actually identify it and it's not until you come out the other side and things are just working smoothly you're like okay what have I actually done differently like for me personally because I've been through all those ups and downs and it was just, I think, you know, I'd stress myself out too much and, you know, be worried too much and then suddenly, you know, I just relaxed a bit and just went through the processes and suddenly things just clicked. So it's it's really hard to pinpoint exactly and, yeah, everyone's individual but it's kind of, you know, always having a goal to chase and always challenging yourself with different things as well and, yeah, looking for that new thing each year so it keeps excitement there.
1: we just going back to, to the, uh, the Tour of Flanders on S- Sunday, uh, which was a fantastic bike race. Um, I just saying how the last two years have been, even with the, we talked to Stuart O'Grady about the men's race just a few minutes ago, and we are talking about how great the racing's been, even with the whole pandemic and no, no fans. And I thought the women's race was just a brilliant race uh, this year. And in the last, in the finale, uh, yeah, or, I mean, you wouldn't have seen exactly what happened. I mean, you probably watched the replays like I have in the last 20K. But Annemiek only ever had about eight seconds. I mean, in the end, it might have been 20. I think it was 26 seconds. They let it go in the last K. But it was only, it was around five seconds, eight seconds. I don't think I've seen that for like 15 kilometres. That was quite amazing that they didn't close it.
3: Yeah, it's, it's always funny how races work out. And, you know, she's... Got, she had a few things in her favour. One, it was a tailwind, which always favours a breakaway, and she's got a time trial background, so that for sure helps her. And when you got the finish line, you know, 10K up the road, of course, you just want to push, push, push. And then you're just at the mercy of what's behind. Like I can't remember the exact dynamic of behind. I think maybe only one team had two other rides, but they're all individuals otherwise. So it's that you need everybody to commit, and commit full gas, and that's why it can be really, really close. But the second you get one little bit of non-commitment you get that gap that goes again so then that's what makes it the exciting racing and yeah. also if one up front they just have to hope for the best the ones behind it's like okay am I going to work with this break and not have the sprint at the end for the chance to the win or do I sit on play the game try to attack and bridge across you know it's everybody in that group from their team is expected to get the job done so it's like they will be thinking what's my best chance to try to get back for the win and So that's why quite often you can see if it's a solo at the front, they can just hold on versus, you know, a chase. It would have been different if you had two at the front because then they could have played games, you know, in the last K and then they could have been been caught. So, yeah. yeah, but it's good. It's great for, you know, the fans and everything else. And, yeah, like you say, the racing in the last couple of years has been really good and the level just gets higher and higher every year.
1: And a great uh, ride by Grace Brown to, to get third. Is that the first Aussie uh, to get on the uh, podium in the women's? No, no. no. Gracie
3: you... Elvin a couple of years ago. I
0: oh, okay. thought, you, thought you would have known that, John. <laughs> oh. uh, we haven't
3: had anybody win Flanders, but I think she was second second or third. But, yeah, it was a fantastic ride yeah. by Grace. You know, she's really, really Sorry,
0: up, Gracie. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, she's really stepped up these last couple of years, you know, from last yeah. year already, you know, a few yeah. big results, and then, you know, this year taking a world tour win, and now that it's really, really good for, you know, Australian women's cycling. And yeah, I'm really happy for her, you know, obviously competitor, but also fellow Aussie. So it's always good to see Aussies yeah. riding so yeah. strong.
0: Given that uh, your forms is, like you were saying before, it's quite strong, I mean, what are you hoping to achieve uh, for the rest of the season, Tiff?
3: Well I'm definitely you know looking to keep the upper trajectory like my first goal this year was definitely just to get back to the business end because it's kind of like okay sit down let's be realistic if I look at previous years can't say hey I want to win this that whatever it's like okay step first get to there which is where I've got now it's okay I'm going to probably get a few more opportunities within the team to be a bit more of a protected rider instead of because often I'm the road captain or just a support rider which I'm fine with because I know I can do that job well but you know, now I'm starting to get that hunger back to see that I can play. So, we'll definitely target some more of the one-day races. Um, we have the Ardennes coming up, so we'll probably still say a bit support there. But, um, you know, some of the races later in the year. There's still the possibility of the Olympics, so we see what happens there. But, it's always going to be a goal for me. But whether I get selected or not, it's another question. But then we have the World Championships in Flanders, and. And that's exciting, you know, looking at the strength that we have in Australian women's cycling. It's, you know, I'm really motivated to make the team there and, you know, to try to be a really strong asset for the team and, you know, help bring home a medal, if not the jersey. And then I also have something a little bit different going on this year as I'm going to do some gravel racing. So that's just something different to mix it up. The team suggested the idea when we did contract negotiations. So... Maybe try to win a few gravel races is another another goal.
0: We've seen that um, a lot more even in the men's, like a lot more sort of cyclocross, uh, you know, trend, particularly in the off seasons. Do you think you're going to find a, a bit more of an uptake in the women's peloton as well?
3: I think so, for sure. Already you're seeing it amongst the American teams. Um, a few of them are doing gravel programs and it still is very heavily based in the US. So that's why it might take a bit longer for the European teams to to jump ship. But in terms of the sponsors, I think it's a really important industry right now um, because for the mass market, a lot more people are getting into gravel. So they see, they see the growth there and, you know, the races are getting bigger and bigger. And it would be cool to see more of a gravel program in Europe. But um, I think more, more teams are definitely going to have a bit of a gravel calendar just so it broadens the exposure for, for, the, for the sponsors and, you know, also for riders. It's, it's just something different, a bit more relaxed, um, but still really hard. So it can also potentially benefit your road performance. So I think we're going to see it keep growing and more road riders also do some more gravel racing.
0: Now, Tiff, I was mentioning to you off-air a couple of days ago, I was, I was watching the uh, Netflix series Drive to Survive Series 3. I was super excited because, yeah, I'm n- not a massive F1 fan. I-, I enjoy playing it on the PlayStation. It's not a sport <laughs> that I sort of die hard follow. And then I see the old mate pop up on the, on the show. Tiffany Crobwell, uh, because obviously your partner you mentioned before is Viteri Bottas. Uh, Now, what I want to ask you is what is it like, because that series gives you a pretty good insight into the world of F1 and it is full on. I mean, what is it like having a partner that is racing the F1 circuit?
3: Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's definitely different, but it's like being with any other professional sports athlete. For sure, their sport is really really intense you know this year I have 23 races so each race weekend is let's say four days with a media day on the Thursday so if you think about that time on the road it's it's quite a lot but I'm super fortunate with Valtteri he's like incredibly supportive and you know we've been able to balance things and make the most of everything Um, you know I can go to his races and do my training and support him and he's also been able to come to some of my races and you know we understand the mindsets of what it takes but You know, when you see with them, it's minute details you're talking about to be the best. You know, Mm. a thousandth of a second can be the difference between him and you know his teammate in qualifying. And but yeah, the hardest thing is I think you know when obviously they're supporting and seeing the things that are out of their control. I think that that's really really hard to watch because you know with us in cycling, majority of things are in our control. It's up to us. It's up to our own personal engine body to do the performing. And you know, it's not so common you have let's say, mechanical failures versus with them. It's so much down to the car and having the luck and everything else. But, but yeah, it's definitely been interesting and eye-opening, but it's, yeah, it, it's been a fun adventure and, you know, and we still just enjoy being with each other and then, you know, trying to learn from each other as well of what I could take from his sport and he can take from my sport to help, you know, increase our own performances.
1: Ify? It's going to say. Now, I hear that he's a very keen cyclist. A couple of the guys I spoke to uh, have been out on the bike with him. They say yeah, he goes pretty well, but can you kick his butt? <laughs>
3: um, on the climbs, 100%, yes. And, but in the sprint, he's actually a pretty handy sprinter, you know. He's... He's really got into the numbers now and he was like, yeah, yeah, I got 1,300, 1,400 watts and, you know, I don't go near that. So in a sprint he'll destroy me, but I think the rest I haven't covered because I have a bit of weight advantage. (laughs) And, and yeah, obviously when he comes to, like, the race time, he has to, you know, he can't do so much cycling because it actually slows him down the endurance phase. So more in the pre-season or during the lockdown um, that we had or the quarantine period he was getting really, really strong and, you know, able to do a lot of the training with me, which was nice because, you know, to be able to share that. But, yeah, when he's in full race mode and I'm in race mode, then I still have the upper hand.
0: Yeah, that, <laughs> they, it, must be, it must be incredible. Like they have to deal with obviously a lot of G-forces and so forth. So is a lot of work on the core strength and, and reflexes and things like that?
3: Yeah, definitely. So a lot of his gym training, big thing is the neck. Um, so he has like the race helmet, but a weighted version, which is, I think, I don't know five kilo or something where you just do like neck exercises, and then yeah, a lot of um, just general body conditioning and and yeah, like reactions and multitasking as well because you know if you actually see all the things I had to deal with, it's like not only driving this car at two, three hundred kilometers an hour, but then listening to the commands and then dealing with changing things within the car like while you're going. You know, there's a lot going on, so it's about being really, really sharp, really, really quick and and responsive, so with that, you do a lot of that training, you know, out of the car and and in the gym, and yeah, it's been fun because I've done some of the exercises too, and you know, it, it's interesting, and yeah, keep showing you
0: well, your toes. well the the scene that um, you're in on the on the Netflix series, it it was about um, there was some dramas with I think him and Hamilton or whatever, and and there was people on social media. I think they must have been laying the boots in, but it, it appeared that you're very good support when it come to, uh, particularly on an emotional level, you know, blocking out the haters and all that sort of stuff. Given the scale of his sport, I mean, he must get inundated with trolls, as they say it online and, and things like that. Um, how, how do you find that process?
3: It's frustrating for sure, like, because people are so mean, Mm. Honestly, i have like, never really experienced it properly. Um, I've always been fortunate that 98% of my kind of followers have been really supportive and haven't had that. But since obviously being with him and I get some of the stuff that he gets and you obviously get tagged in some of it too. And the F1 fans are, you know, they die hard to their people. And the thing is you just have to not read it or just not let it affect you. I think I probably feel for him more than, gets affected by it like but you know of course it's good to highlight the issues because people don't realize we're real people and Mm. you know people can hide behind a screen and I don't know what goes through their head when you know you know something like tell you you're a loser or you know you don't deserve to be where you are and you don't know how to drive a car or you don't know how to ride a bike like (laughs) I don't think you'll understand it's not that easy and yeah it's the biggest thing is you know just don't let it touch you emotionally be like okay whatever um just move to the next one because there are still a lot of positive support and a lot of people you know backing but yeah sometimes you do buy and that's kind of what that scene was set up to be because <laughs> and he's really good with it he just was just point blank like mate you know what makes you like it was something as simple as you know just if I had the mentality that you I wouldn't have got to the point where I am today and because it's basically mm-hmm. just somebody just being really, really negative and yeah, it's it's just remembering that and trying to educate people that, you know, we don't have to be haters or or be nasty or, you know, with all with across the board, you know, even with like racism and all these sorts of things, like, yeah, people don't realise that even if they're just doing a small comment, it's it can have a
1: big impact. Ify? I was just gonna say, uh Formula one is just so different to most other sports in that Often, your biggest rival is your teammate, and in most cases, that is the case uh, situation. So, they have their own little group look out for their car, but th- there's this great rivalry between uh, the two teammates. How-, how does he handle all of that?
3: He's actually really good with it, you know. Um, he understands his position, and but yeah, like watching it obviously, when you come from such a team sport, even though cycling has that element of individualism, but you're still collectively trying to get the same result. But, you know, he's he's got that massive drive he wants to win. That's point blank, you know, how it is. But also he's got great respect with Lewis. Like, you know, between each, each other, they have great respect within each other. They want to race hard. As a team, they want to win together. But then, of course, they want to beat each other. So he's just, you know, that's his biggest motivation. And he's looking at every small detail with his side of the garage. Because there's an element that they work together, um, you know, when it comes to their race meetings and the race strategies and kind of sharing the different data and stuff. But then once it comes to the race, you know, it's they kind of do their own race within reason, unless there's team orders and stuff. But, you know, he's good with it, but he's always, you know, pushing himself to get the maximal to obviously to try to beat Lewis. But, you know, he doesn't have any hard feelings against him. He's just, you know, likes it because it, you know, pushes him to the most that he can get out of himself.
0: Well, it's good in the sense that you're driving clearly the best car on the grid, but you're also up against one of the best drivers of all time. So, you know, it's a bit of a catch-22. But, I mean, it must be it must be good having that base. One of the other things that come out in that series is having a base in Finland that is so different to the hustle and bustle of everybody else, just getting away, getting out to the country. I mean, how good has that been for your mental health, particularly on the back of a year like last year? Where a lot of people that were caught in these tiny apartments in Girona, particularly if you're if you're a writer that didn't have a partner, you know, those guys must have really struggled and having that ability to just get out, I mean, that must have been huge.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we were super fortunate, like the timing was borderline because we got there just as Finland were kind of closing their borders to to non residents or citizens and it was, everything happened so quickly. So with Italy first and Spain and then Monaco was doing the same. I had some friends who stayed in Monaco the whole time and, yeah, it didn't seem enjoyable versus, you know, we're able to get to Finland and we literally we were all, like, planned to go for one week. <laughs> so I didn't even take my road bike. I just took my mountain bike. I was like, oh, you know, we'll be right. It's all good. And then two months later we're still there. But it really is, you know, for me it's a bit like coming home to Australia as well because I'm from the Adelaide Hills where we have space, you know, it's quiet and, there, you know, you have so much nature and he's got a small lake house. So it really is, you know, when you come from a place like Monaco in the south of France, where it's yeah, as you were saying, just apartments and people on top of each other and it's just, you know, full gas all the time. You just get there and it's just like breathe and and mm. a bunch of, you know, fresh air. It's such, you know, a clean, clean country and and yeah, like just so much nature. And it really is it's a perfect place, you know, when we do need a break or somewhere to get away. If there's been, you know, some stress or some bad race or whatever, it's it's nice and it's only a few hours away. It's not like Australia, which is 20 to 30 hours of travel away. So, yeah, very, very fortunate to have that. And, you know, I've really been enjoying kind of being able to go up to Finland with him and enjoy the kind of Finnish culture and, and everything else.
0: Now, I saw on your website as well, Tiff, that you claim to be a foodie. Now, what's your signature dish? Because obviously in lockdown you would have done a fair bit of cooking.
3: Um well is when we had that lockdown, we kind of end up just having a, a meal for every day of the week. We start doing a cycle, but typically my kind of signature, let's say, is either like pancakes or like Avon toast, you know, typical Aussie. But yeah, during the lockdown we had like meat-free Monday, taco Tuesday, the Wednesday grilling, which was yeah, barbecue. Thursday was tie me up Thursday, which was Thai food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was gonna say. This is a family
3: show. And <laughs> um, pizza perientae, which perientae is Friday in Finnish, so that's pizza Friday, which would do like homemade pizza, but that was more of our three signature. Yep. Saturday was salmon and salad Saturday, and then Sunday was <laughs> Finnish meal Sunday, which was Finnish cuisine. So <laughs> that was our kind of signature thing. For, oh. So we just...
0: Geez, if there was a restaurant, to... <laughs> that would be a bestseller. That would be of <laughs> oh, Sounds good to me. I'm there.
1: I'm there. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: now, uh, is, is of all the races you look back over your career, are the, are the highlights when you get to pull pull on the green and gold, Tiff, are they the races that you really take the most pride in?
3: Definitely. You know, obviously, it's always a special race with my team and giving the best for them with Canyon Tram, but – something special about representing your country you know it's you're on the the highest level to be able to represent your country and you know in the biggest races it's it's always a very very special feeling and you know to get there and to be able to represent a country like Australia it's it's not easy you, you have to be on really good form and and be the right fit for the team so yeah it's it's always been incredibly special
1: Ify. so I've got a couple of questions to finish off. Firstly, um, what is your main target for for, for this year uh, um, in the next couple of months?
3: Uh, main target. Well, I still have Olympics as a small goal. I'd half ridden off, but now with my latest form, it's you know you never know. See how the Ardennes go, but definitely yeah. World Championships this year. That one will be a big goal because. Um, Although the last few World Championships, you know, have been such hard courses that I've played more an early role, whereas I believe, you know, this year is one that, yeah, can really have some fun with and, you know, play in the business end again. So that's probably the biggest goal.
1: Yeah. And my second question is, January, can we see you back at the Bay Classic?
3: (laughs) I hope so. Let's see what the situation's doing. But for now, the plan is to do Christmas in Australia at the end of this year. After missing it last year, so if I'm there, I'll be there ready to race. It's been a few oh, years great. since the Bay Series.
1: Uh, it yeah, has you know, been. I did it's like twelve been. years, years. Straight or
5: something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you did. You did. So it's been yeah. about three years, I think, uh, and I've missed yeah. you, Tiff. So we look yeah, forward to having you back. too. Well, <laughs> maybe to. we can
0: <laughs> we can do a celeb event around the hot dog. Get Valtteri down there, just cut some For laps. It to be pretty. The, I don't mean the insurance in would criterion. cover it though. He would, but I think the insurance with that hot dog circuit, particularly <laughs> those days when there's a bit of gravel on that True. second bend, uh, yeah, probably wouldn't be a good. His good benefit piece. is he's
3: much better than most bike guys at fueling the the tires, so uh, he's got that upper hand.
0: There you <laughs> go. Good. Yeah. Well, probably. we wish you all the best for the rest of the season, Tiff, and we'll check in throughout the year and uh, and see how traveling. And uh, obviously, you know, John's got. You know, pretty big pool in Australian cycling. So if if it's down to a few riders for the national selection, I mean, you right. could probably pull some I'll, string. I'll
5: Drop you a few few euros.
0: Or just send him a signed cap or something. You know, <laughs> oh, that, Mercedes racing team. Yeah, uh, we'll work something out. <laughs> oh, great to see you, Tiff. Yeah, Thanks for being yeah, on the like show. Place.
3: Thanks for having me. Good to no see worries.
0: you. Great, take speak, it easy. Diff. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Tiff Cromwell, absolute superstar. Now, Ify, uh, anything you want to add before we go?
1: No, no, I thought it was a a great program. I absolutely loved the uh, uh, Tour of Flanders uh, uh, on Sunday. I must admit that I sat up Saturday night very late trying to work out why I couldn't get on the telly, Um, but it was on Sunday. But anyway, I did it again on Sunday. I know. Dementia. not going to have a few too many microphones, mate. <laughs> all of that, all of that. Uh, but a, a great weekend. Just a real uh, disappointing that uh, disappointment that there's no Parramatta Bay this uh, coming Sunday. But hey, it's going to be on in October, and hopefully with crowds and all of that. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what uh, happens. But. The Ardennes Classics all start um, not not far away, and I'm really looking forward to those. So we'll keep all our listeners informed, and I'm sure you'll show them how to uh, to make sure that they're right a part of it from here on.
0: Well, just keep logging to YouTube.com/slash forward slash the Detour Podcast, uh, subscribe, turn on notifications, uh, and make sure you also visit BikeExchange.com.au because there's still there's still some frames and stuff from the the Green Edge. Run out sale, Johnny?
1: Oh, yes, yes. There's still plenty of frames. I mean, we had 280 to, to, and we've probably sold, I don't know, 50, I guess. So there's still a lot of beautiful uh, uh, Scott frames still to go and, some, you know, a, a range of anything. It's Syncros integrated handlebars and stems. I mean, they're normally about $600. I mean, I think they're going for around $200. So fantastic deals.
0: We'll be doing a couple of special episodes uh, building up for the Ardennes, and then we're looking to go live every night for this year's Giro. Same format as what we did last year, so got some uh, pretty big episodes to come, mate. And we'll be checking in with some big names, both locally and internationally. So stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon on the Detour. All right.